Walking the fairways and the greens with the Aussie stars at home and away. Golf Australia's Inside the Ropes. Time now to talk some golf in the backyard over here in WA. And uh, one of, well, we've been spending a lot of time on the podcast in. Uh, since its inception, talking about the young players coming out of Western Australia, and there is just a flood of them who are doing great things you know, around Australia and certainly now around the world. But they've been led by um, a fleet of magnificent veteran players, and one of those is uh, one of the most famous lefties Australia's ever produced, Nick O'Hearn, who's been good enough to join us on the show. G'day, Nick. G'day, Andy. Good to talk to you, mate. Good to talk to you too. There's Clates and um, Mark Hayes as well. Uh, all the golf that you've played, all the golf you've played, do you, uh, this the week of a major, do you kind of look forward to spending some time on the couch with the tracksuit pants on and the phone off and just sitting back watching a bit of stuff? Can you still enjoy watching the game getting played? I do with the majors, yeah. I, I really don't watch uh, regular tour events, not unless it's uh, a special one, which I always enjoy, like the Memorial or something like that. Um, but the majors, you know, they always pull up the heartstrings a bit. Um, the you know, the Open Championship, probably my favourite, um, followed up by the US Open. I mean, the Masters is always a treat, but I found that place just too difficult for me. Um, but, you know, the, the last nine holes of a major is something that I think every golfer enjoys watching because you're sitting at home and I, I even get nervous watching it. So yeah. it's, always, uh, it's always interesting because you know you've been there and, uh, and had a crack yourself. So we've spent a lot of time, um, you know, on the podcast today talking about you know, the US Open and the way it gets set up, uh, and it's got a very unique kind of personality from the other three majors. Do you like it? Do you like the way, um, you know, the course does get presented for this Open Championship? Yeah, I, US Opens are always my, uh, I guess, one of my favourites to play because par was a good score, and, and my game was built around hitting fairways and greens and and, uh, and making plenty of pars, throwing in the odd birdie. And, I mean, I remember playing a, a couple... I guess the one at uh, Oakmont for me came to mind when I stood on the uh, 72nd hole of the tournament and my caddy says to me, mate, you've played really well this week, but you're 15 over par. (laughs) (laughs) And I kind of agreed with him and I think 15 over finished about 20th that year. So, um, but I, I always enjoyed the mental battle more than anything because you really had to, uh, you really had to grind every shot out and uh, it was, it was a very draining week, but the other thing that happened in, in my career whenever I played a US Open is I always had a great week the week after because I thought, well, this place is easy and I'd always <laughs> go and have a good tournament the week after. Uh, people sort of tend to forget uh, among your other achievements, Nick, that you actually finished pretty high up, particularly in the one that Jeff Ogilvie won at Winged Foot. Um, mm. Sixth, I believe, is that right? Yeah, I finished, uh, finished sixth. I was, I was about... Uh, it was inter- I mean, I got to the winning score at one point throughout that day. I started the day at, uh, at nine over at Winged Foot and I was running maybe 30th or something like that, and the leaders were about one over, and my caddy and I, we kind of said, look, if we can get to five over par, we might be a chance. And I almost said to him, mate, you're dreaming. It's some nine over par for a reason. <laughs> and uh, I was playing with Fred Funk, and uh, and through nine holes, I'm four under, I'm five over par, and Fred's just looking at me going, what the heck are you doing? This is, you know, this is incredible. And I was just having a dream nine holes. And, and then standing on 10, I thought, well, you know, let's par in and see what happens. And sure enough, I three-putted the 10th, and... <laughs> And uh, I think I shot three over on the back to finish eight over and then watched the carnage uh, unfold, uh, you know, with, uh, obviously, it was, I think it was Harrington first and then Monty and then Jeff, uh, you know, did a great job getting up and down on the last and, and then it, obviously everyone knows what happened with Phil. So uh, I, I was in the locker room watching it all and when Jeff came in, I said, mate, I think you're a good chance. He said, oh, no, Phil's still to come, but, you know, everyone saw what happened there. 
So, Nick, uh, no offence here, you're not the longest hitter of a golf ball that's ever set foot on a US Open tee. What do you think when you look at Aaron Hills and see a 7,800-yard beast layout in front of you? Yeah, that's that's going to be a struggle for, for a lot of the guys like a, you know, Luke Donald or Billy Horschel, those sorts of players. I mean, they're, they're not short, but it's certainly going to help uh, help the long guys. Um, although, admittedly, it just depends on how the, how the fairways roll out. I mean, San Antonio's a almost an 8,000-yard golf course, and I never found that very long because it was so firm. So a lot will depend on the weather, how they, you know, how the fairways are rolling and, uh, and go from there. So that can be a bit misleading, and if, if some of the holes are downhill, well, then it shortens it up as well. But I think all the par fives are over 600 yards this week, so uh, that's almost unheard of. So if it's wet, mate, how do you tackle that with your length? Like, what, what do you go through mentally on the, on the tees? You know, you're standing there obviously seeding 20, 30, 40 metres on occasions to some of your opponents. What, how do you get around and shoot a score that's going to put you in contention? What are you, what are you thinking to do that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just kind of played to my strengths. I never, I, I was one of the shortest hitters on tour. I was always in the bottom 10 for length, but I was usually in the top 10 for accuracy. So that kind of go hand in hand. Um, although length is more a factor than accuracy these days, obviously. But yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd pick the holes where I'd say, okay, maybe I can, you know, make some inroads here. And then others, which, you know, a 500-yard par four, I'm thinking, how do I make four? You know, I'm, I'm not even looking at making three. So you're just really trying to map out a strategy that, that, uh, that fits your game. And when you're on those types of courses, you have to bring your A game as a short hitter. If you're not hitting the ball well, then you've really got no chance. So I'm sure there's going to be a couple of guys that aren't long that are going to contend because that always happens when they're, when they're on song and if they're putting well. But I think the majority of the top ten, probably eight of those, nine of those guys, are, are going to be long, long hitters and, um, you know, they... Even when they haven't got their A game, they can kind of still get away with it. But uh, the fairways are pretty generous, so that even helps the longer hitters even more. I mean, if the fairways were tight, um, then you'd see some more shorter hitters up there. Nick, are you, I don't know if you've seen Thomas Peters play, but no one's spoken about him this week. But mm. he's um, he's got some sort of chance, hasn't he, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I watched him in the Ryder Cup, and he was, uh, he was phenomenal. I hadn't really heard of him before that. I'd seen him played a little bit in Europe on in one or two events and thought, oh, this guy's got some game. And But the fire in his belly of the Ryder Cup was pretty impressive. And um, you know, I think he's thrown away a lead or two in a couple of tournaments, maybe like uh, Wentworth the other week, uh, where he had a good chance. But he uh, very long off the tee and, and doesn't back off from a challenge. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he goes. I, 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 I have a soft, not a soft spot, but I have a feeling Lee Westwood might even be a chance this week. You know, maybe it's the year of first-time majors yeah. who, who should have won plenty. Yeah. <laughs> you spent a bit of time playing in Europe, haven't you, over the journey? Yeah, I was there for about eight or nine years playing. So we, we've kind of addressed this a, a bit earlier, uh, having spoken to Ryan Ruffles, and this fascination or desperation for young Australian players to kind of get to America uh, and seemingly blindly bypass the option of Europe. We, we, we seemingly have so few players that want to use Europe as a as a viable option anymore. Do, do you ever talk to them about the benefits of maybe looking at um, you know, Europe as opposed to the States? Yeah, a couple of guys. I mean, uh, Curtis Luck, um, you know, he's obviously starting out his career at the moment. He was, he's been in Orlando where I'm, I'm based, although I'm in Australia at the moment. Um, and I had a bit of a chat with him about and he's, he's, you know, he may consider that, I think. Uh, I think it's a great avenue. I I, um, you know, I, I love the European courses. The best thing that happened to me was in 98, I went to the uh, second stage of the USQ school and I missed. And if I'd have got through that and got to the final stage and then start playing, you know, what's now the web.com, at worst, um, I think 
that would have been a big mistake. In the end, uh, it made me go to the European Q School. I got my card there, and the rest is kind of history. And Europe just, um, I think it really helps develop your game a lot more than in the US. It's a little bit, too, not, not really one-dimensional, but very much more so than the European tour because, you you know, you learn how to... You learn how to do a variety of things in Europe, not so much even with the golf, but the travel, the language, the, the, the cultures, the experience, you know, the life experiences. And that was some of the best things that could have ever happened to me at that stage. And I really, I guess, more so grew as a human being as well as a golfer mm. when I was traveling throughout Europe. And I think, uh, I think that could be such a good thing for the young guys to go and do. And, you know, people like Ryan and, and Curtis, I think that would be a great experience for them. I mean, because I mean, they're so young anyway, they've still got plenty of time. You can always come to the U.S at some stage, and that's kind of what happened to me. I came to the U.S. when I was in my early to mid-30s. You put out a book last year, um, The Tour Mentality Inside the Mind of a Tour Pro. Had this been one of those little kind of projects, you probably don't need to write a book, you know, but was, was this kind of one of those projects that have been sitting somewhere in the pit of your gut for a while? Not really, no. It was, it was a couple of years ago I started, um, when, I, when I stopped playing, I started helping some friends out on the golf course, and, you know, with was more, more so on strategy and the mental side of the game, and one of them said, oh, you should write a book on this stuff. And I said, oh, there's plenty of, plenty of good mental game books out there already. And he said, yeah, but you actually played the game for a living. None of these guys have done it. They're all sports psychologists. So, so the more I thought about it, I started penning some, some notes down, and, um, and, a, and a book kind of evolved out of it. And um, so far it's been really well received, and it kind of, uh, I guess, gives a, a roadmap as to what I did throughout my career and, and how I went about things that helped me. And I've tried to explain it in the best way possible for, for the average golfer all the way through to the pros. And, and I've had some pretty good reviews from a, a broad spectrum of, uh, of golfers, and uh, it's, it's worked out pretty good. So, um, you know, my, my intention is never to, you know, writing a book, you never make money out of that. But uh, it's, it, it's great to um, use it as a platform to do other things. Mm. So I've now got back into a bit of teaching and some mentoring of young young players and things like that. So um, it's, it's kind of a nice thing to talk about. So you have no temptation to go back and play again somewhere? Well... I, mean, know, I guess you played back here at the end of last year. You played the Open and... Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, my wife and I, we're, we're back in Australia visiting family at the moment and we're you know, seriously considering, considering moving back to Australia. So if, if I move back here, well, then, yeah, I might start playing... I'll start playing the local circuits again and um, and see how we go. And I'm, I've got a few years till I turn 50, so the seniors too is a little way off. But uh, um, I, I stopped playing because I, I didn't want to travel anymore. My kids are at an age where uh, I wanted to watch them grow up, and I've been doing that the last few years and absolutely loved it. So uh, but if we move back to Australia, I might, might pick the clubs up a bit more again. I'm just a social golfer these days, and at the end of every year, I try and come back and play the Aussie Open and those events because I love them so much. Yeah, I was actually with your brother. I had a coffee with your brother at Mount Lawley the other day, and it was... No, I think he's stuck in Orlando for the rest of his life. And it's like, why wouldn't you want to live in Perth? I mean, Orlando versus Perth? Come on. That's not a yeah, choice. Well, well, that's the question we're asking ourselves. Well, there is no choice, Matt. Come on. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, no, I hear you're doing some good stuff with the course there too, Clay. That's right. So, so, uh, so, so is, is part of that decision around what Alana's doing with her painting? Is, is there more opportunity there in America than there is here or...? Yeah, we, we've kind of, well, and a lot of it has to do with the kids at the moment. They're at an age now where our first one's about to go into high school. So um, Get her out of there, the, come home. They've been at the same school the, you know, the whole time. So, uh, yeah, if we, if we do do it, we're going to have to do it pretty quick. <laughs> Nick, at the, at the Australian Open last year, I mean, it was at Royal Sydney, and, and there are a lot of people approximately half your age had long since shot through when you'd finished your rounds, and you're still grinding away on the practice screens. Just, you, you obviously still have a passion for the sport itself. 
Oh, I love it. Yeah. No, I've, I've actually, when I, when I stopped playing uh, probably two and a half years ago, I, I completely got away from the game. I, I you know, I, was, I wasn't burnt out, but I just kind of had enough. And, um, and the last year or so, since writing the book and then starting to do a bit of teaching and helping some golfers out, I've, I've fallen back in, in love with the game again, which is great. And maybe you saw me on the putting green because I was putting right-handed, and that's what I'm doing these days. So I'm still trying to, uh, still trying to, still trying to, uh, you know, make that feel, feel feel comfortable. But it's certainly working. I wish I'd have done it years and years ago. That's exactly what I was about to ask you. How, I mean, it's, it's an incredible switch, especially this late in a career. Why and is it working? Well, yeah. Talk about one end of the spectrum. The other. I went from a long left-handed to a short right-handed. So you know that's kind of unusual. Um, my coach told me to do it probably a half a dozen years ago. He said, "Why don't you putt right-handed?" Because I wasn't putting great at the time with the with the left hand. And um, it kind of makes sense because I am a right-handed person. I, I, I write right, uh, throw right, but everything I do with two hands is, is left. So I bowl right and cricket and bat left. And it came about because I, I've always wanted to know what I could shoot for nine holes playing right-handed. So I went out for a social game a couple of years ago and uh, played right-handed and then I hit the ball okay, but I putted great and I thought, oh, there might be something in this. And then I just started tinkering with it. And with a short left-handed putter, I, I get a bit, you know, a bit yippy, a bit jabby. Um, but with the short right-handed, it's, it's, there's nothing there and it feels great. And uh, my only problem is, is lining up. I don't really know where I'm aiming because my eyes are so used to looking the other way. Um, so now I've, I've put a line on the ball and, and uh, I know where I'm aiming. So it's, uh, it's working out really well. I still held the ball pretty, pretty similar to how I, I usually, you know, used to. I don't really practice much anymore, but, um, but I'm putting really well, so it's going good. Mate, away from your golf for a second, uh, you mentioned Curtis Luck's name a couple of times, and mm. obviously, uh, just as Andy mentioned before, a wave of talent coming out of the West, and you know, of which we couldn't be prouder. Um, why? Why is this happening? And what do you talk to the guys when you go home and get a, an opportunity when they look up to you? Yeah, I mean, I, if, if I if I bump him or whatnot, um, I mean, it's pretty hard from from Orlando to uh, to run into these young guys. But as it's turned out, Ryan Ruffles and and Curtis, he's just joining our club, Arworth, uh, over there in Orlando. So I've got to play a couple of rounds of golf. I really didn't know Curtis um, until he started coming over because he was a member at Cottesloe where my brother was a GM. And uh, I tell you what, this kid, he's got some talent. I mean, uh, like most of them, they're about 40 or 50 metres longer than we used to see. Uh, but he's got a really good head on his shoulders, very uh, very calm uh, kind of demeanour about him on the golf course. And when I played with him, I was I was really impressed. And I thought, wow, if I'd have had his talent, I'd, uh, you know, it would have been fantastic. So I think he's got the whole, the whole package, but it's a tough deal trying to get in on invites and, and make a career of it straight away in the U.S. Um, as I'm sure Ryan found, is finding out, and, and Curtis is kind of... I think he's making cuts, but he's not really getting up there. Uh, but give him time. I mean, whether a year on the web.com or, you know, maybe if they make the decision to possibly go to Europe and play over there or in Asia just to get some, some world experience, I think that would be the best thing for him. But uh, I'm always I'm always around for a, for a chat if these guys ever want to talk, and, and that's kind of a role I've, I started to switch into with uh, some young, um, even college players in the U.S. now where I'm Sounds like a fantastic resource. Hopefully they take advantage of it. Um, Nick, thanks so much for joining us on the WA version of Inside the Ropes. We really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thanks. Nick O'Hearn joining us. Thanks for tuning in, folks. That is it for another week. Clates, we'll see you again sometime. And 
Hazy, we'll see you again soon. Perfect, Danny. Just a reminder to all those just to jump onto the Golf Western Australia website and pick up all the back episodes of the previous three that we've done. So some great stuff there from around Western Australia. See you next time, folks.